A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I was never very optimistic about that AJ fight happening, but all of a sudden, it's my fault. I don't want to fight because I'm a shit house. <laughs> Please, I fight him on here and I'd flatten him. I have spoken to him and he did say it was you that backed out. Oh yeah, I fought the best men in the world at their prime, yeah. but I'm together this plum. I'm going to call him a chicken nugget. Why chicken nugget? Just because he's ripped and he's in good shape and I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm not optimistic that the fight will ever happen. Joshua's fought not one heavyweight in his prime. He said he wants you now. How can he have me now if I've got a rematch with Wilder? Do you know how much the suing case was if I don't fight him? $80 million. Even if you give me your belt, would you... Have given no, me... it's not the belt. I could go out with the belt, bang. I had three years out of the ring. I was on drugs and alcohol. I was fat as I was 28 stone, yeah? Every day I woke up, I just wanted to die. On the latest episode of The Overlap, brought to you by Skybet, I travel to Morecambe to meet the undefeated WBC heavyweight world champion. Tyson Fury's dramatic return to regain his heavyweight crown is one of the greatest sporting comebacks of all time. We talk about his battles with depression and his rivalries with Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua. Tyson, welcome to the Overlap, and this place brings back memories of when I used to come here with my nan, my granddad when I was younger. We always used to come to Morecambe on a Sunday. Yeah. Tell me, why Morecambe? Well, first of all, welcome to Morecambe Bay, guys. This is the place where the magic happens and the dreams come true. Why Morecambe? Well, a long, long time ago, 13, 14 years ago, I came here for a week over Christmas. I'd just got married. Yeah. and there was, I was having arguments with her family and my family and everyone was interfering, so I thought, right, I'm going to go somewhere neutral. My uncle used to live here and he was a boxing trainer. Yeah. So he got on the phone and he said, right, why don't you come to Morecambe? He said, and have a week here while, while you get settled in and you can do some training over the Christmas with me while you're I said, yeah, sounds a good idea. I'll pop down. So I moved down here for a week and ended up staying here 13 years so far. This suits the boxing Tyson Fury, does it? Yes, it does, yeah. I call it Alcatraz, Morecambe. <laughs> because if you go that way, you hit water. You've got to drive an hour to Manchester or an hour to Liverpool. So it's the last point of civilization, really, for me. <laughs> and I need that. I can't yeah. be in a place what's a thriving every day and there's so much to do. I like to be in a place where there's nothing much to do, 
just train, eat, sleep, repeat. And that's yeah. the way I've been for the last 13 years. And what do your kids think of it and your wife, Paris? The, I think when we first moved here, it was yeah. like it was a neutral ground and it, yeah. it was okay. And then all of a sudden you get rooted in. And I always thought, yeah, I'm going to move back to Wimslow and that'll do. But I seem to be totally, deeply rooted in here now. Yeah. My kids are in school, I've done all the schooling here and I've got all friends here and everything. And what I find is if my wife's happy, then I can have an easy life. Yeah. But if she's like not happy, then my life's terrorised. What about if you're not happy? If I'm not happy, I have to lump it. <laughs> And that's it. But the thing is, I'm away a lot, so I can't be so selfish, you know what I mean? No. What, what are you like at home in terms of the children? I am a full-time, hands-on dad. Right. While I'm at home, I'm just dad. That's yeah. it. Is that it then, six kids? Are you still going to stop there? Is it... I think so, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's hard work. It's a full-time job. And in terms of growing up and you, what, was your, what would you say your childhood was like? I had a good childhood because I was in like a countryside, so we were always running around in yeah. the fields, building tree houses and building dens and smashing things up and all that, as kids do. And then when I got to about 13, 14, I wanted to box. That was all I wanted to do. Was that because your dad? Yeah, my dad. It was just something that I'd loved. Like, yeah. my dad influenced it because he was a boxer, but he didn't really encourage it at all. He said, like, oh, boxing's not, not for you, like, you're not a good game. Because he was just an opponent yeah. and he had it hard, like, you know what I mean? Like, he didn't have a proper manager or nothing and all that. And he just, like, he always advised us not to do it. But I always loved it. Like, we used to go to the car boot sale around the back of us. It used to be like a big field every Sunday. And I'd, I'd go there, me and my little brother Shane, and we'd be looking for, like, boxing videotapes. And we used to come back and, and watch them and study them and try and copy the moves. And then we'd get my dad's old sparring gloves out. He had one pair, so we'd have one glove on each. And then we'd have like a, a, a dishcloth wrapped around our other yeah. hands. And we'd be sparring in the kitchen and smashing things up. My dad would be going nuts, like, Belting the properly. Alone. Yeah, proper having it. He's, a big, he's big as me, Shane. He's yeah. like, he's six foot six and like 25 stone. So we used to have it all the time. And we grew up dreaming about boxing. We used to like, design our own boxing kits, drawings and stuff. As little kids and all, I'm going to wear this when I'm a world champion and I'm going to do that ring walk. And you've seen all the crazy yeah, stuff yeah. I do. Yeah. But that's been planned for years. Like, as kids, we used to draw them and think about what we were going to do and all that. Is that for you or to intimidate the opponent? That's basically for me, yeah. Just having a bit of a laugh, like a bit of good, yeah. enjoying yourself. Yeah. Like, I've done so many crazy things over the years, dressing up as Batman. I yeah, always wanted yeah. to do that and <laughs> coming out as but Apollo at that, Creed. At that moment, things. though, at yeah. that moment you did it, at like, the biggest moments you do it. Yeah, because what? if you if you're boxing in, I don't know, Preston somewhere yeah. at a local show, <laughs> it's not really a time to do it, is it? You need big events to do that sort of thing. So every big event like Vegas or big world title fights, then I do crazy ring walks and things. Do I listen to someone like you? Because I, I, I played football and... And people say to me, oh, did you, you enjoy playing football? I always felt it was a bit of a pressure. Like, you know, waiting for a game, like the anxiety of it, the nervousness of making a mistake. But it seems yeah. to me you absolutely love boxing and you can't wait for that moment. And there were some players that I played with that were like that. I wish I was like that. Yeah. See me, though, I, I'm a very unusual character when it comes to the boxing game. I, I'm nervous that I'm not nervous in, in the changing room. I get all sleepy and things like that. I'm not even interested. Like, oh, you're going to be fighting the world's biggest puncher, aren't you? Oh, yeah, am I? Cheers. Give us knock in half an hour when I'm ready. <laughs> but sometimes I think it's bad that I don't get butterflies and nervous and I'm really up for it. When I fought Wilder last time, I was so lucky days ago going to the ring. I walked to it on a throne thing. 
and I wasn't really awake. And he cracked me with a right hand in round one or round two, and I thought, right, shit, let's go. It's something very natural because my brothers, they boxed and pros and things, and they were all nervous about. It's not about getting punched in the face. It's about performing to your ability, isn't it? But I know if I've trained hard and I've ate right and done everything right, then I know that's all I can do. My outlook on sport is very simple. I sacrifice my whole life. And when I'm in training camps for eight, 10 weeks, I don't even drink a can of pop. I won't even have a Diet Coke or nothing. It's just eat, sleep, training. And I won't go out, I won't stay out late. I'll go to bed every night, eight, nine o'clock. I'll wake up early. I'll do exactly what the nutritionist tells me to do. And I won't break anything. There's not one thing more I could sacrifice while I'm in a training camp. Do you have to tell yourself that to make sure that when you walk into the ring, it's perfect? Is that... I don't tell myself it, but because I automatically Just know that it. I've not cut any corners. Yeah. And I know, right, that if I go into a big fight, one of these guys, and, and he beats me, then obviously I'm not good enough. Because I know that I put in that much work, and I've sparred the best, and I've done everything that I possibly can, so if I lose to a better man on the night, I'll shake his hand and say, fair play, pal, you're a good fighter. But they don't have that attitude because no. they want to make excuses why they lost or this was wrong, that was wrong, I've hurt my foot, I've hurt my leg, I've, I've had a bad training camp. And they can't face reality of what's happened. And that's it, but I've never lost a fight. Do think you ever will? I don't think I'll ever lose a fight, no. I don't think I will. I don't think there's nobody out there to beat me. They're all businessmen, like Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joe, whoever is in this era that I'm in. They're all about business. They're all about making money. They're all about doing other business ventures and being celebrities on telly. I want to be a movie star. I want to be this, I want to be that. And I'm just the same old G sitting here in Morecambe drinking me coffee. I'm like, I don't really care about all that sort of stuff, business and whatever. But I suppose, like, I come from like a business background. I was earning money at 12 years old. So for them, it's new. But for me, it's something that I've done all my life. That takes their hunger away. And... I, I think so, yeah, because they don't really care. I've seen it lately of a lot of fighters. They're doing it for money. They want to just keep getting that paycheck, paycheck, paycheck. Yeah. But for me, if I wasn't 100% focused on what I'm going to do, then I wouldn't want to go in there for any amount of money because it doesn't mean that much to me. The money doesn't mean that much to you? Nah. Listen, I know loads of it. I know billionaires and I know millionaires and I know people who ain't got f all. And the un most unhappy people are the richest ones. That's a fact. That's true. You know, so I'm... all you people out there, yeah, <laughs> listen to that. I've got billionaire mates and they're very unhappy. They're never happy. If they found 100 grand on the floor, they wouldn't make them happy. They'd be looking for the next one because enough is never enough. They're always chasing more. And no matter what they achieve, they're always trying to go again and try and make more. But for me, I'm happy. Like, I'd be happy if I lived in a council flat up there in a, in a tower block, I don't really care. Because I don't need a flash house or a flash car for someone to like me. If they don't like me, then f them. The talk was, me and Joshua were going to fight, but you very rarely get two prime heavyweights fight each other, because one of them is always a bit wary that they're going to lose. What a shame. I've only got two or three fights left, because there's no more challenges. They've all gone, they've all been smashed to bits. I'm going to get straight into it because I watched an interview with your dad about two months ago where yeah. he was talking about this Wilder fight, this third fight, which he didn't want at the time. And you were preparing for the Joshua fight, weren't you? And this court case came up. Yeah. And I, you obviously don't listen. You don't conform to authority. You don't. You do what you want to do, don't you? But he said, chuck the belt in. 
and go and fight Joshua. And I'm surprised you haven't challenged the mafia that is boxing and just gone off. I'm fighting you, I want to fight, I'm the champion, I don't care right. what belt I've got. So, a lot of people don't know this, but I'm not optimistic that the fight will ever happen, you, to be fair. You don't think he wants it? Nah. He talks a good game, but is he really a fighting man? I'm not really too sure. After his last performance where he got stopped by a little fat kid, I'm not sure that he could even... even Sounds like me. Sounds rounds. like you were boxing me. <laughs> anyway, the talk was me and Joshua were going to fight. No yeah. contracts were signed or anything like that. And then, all of a sudden, Deontay Wilder's put on an arbitration against me yeah. from a top judge and all the best lawyers in America. So I can't do anything about that. If you want to bring a court case against me in America, and even if I've not done anything, I've got to defend it or else I'm guilty. That's how it works. So I said, all right, then let's do it. So they want to go to court and they want to fight for his rematch and his contract had expired because of the COVID. But to be honest with you, fair is fair, and I'm a fair man myself, and if the shoe was on the other foot, I'd want my third fight. Yeah. Because it wasn't really my fault or Wilder's fault why the rematch never happened. It was just the world got turned on its head and it didn't happen because of the COVID. So all of a sudden, we're in court now, and he won the case. The judge said, look, fair's fair, give the lad his rematch, and that's it. So there's not much I could even do about that. So even if you give your belt, would you have given No, it's not the belt. It's contracted to me. Ah. So it's got nothing to do with the belt. So you I could go out with the belt, bang. And all of a sudden, then me and Wilder's fighting for no belt against each other. So you would have to fight him contractually and yeah. what he would sue you if you did it and you'd Yeah. Do you know how much the suing case was if I don't fight him? Eighty million dollars. I'd have to speak to one of them unhappy millionaires, wouldn't <laughs> I? Yeah, but listen, there's all sorts of stuff goes on behind the scenes and I was never very optimistic about that AJ fight happening because this was always going on in the background and they knew all that. Eddie Earn knew it, Joshua knew it, they all knew it. But all of a sudden, it's my fault, I don't want to fight because I'm a shithouse. <laughs> Please. I fight him on here and I'd flatten him. I have spoken to him and he did say it was you that backed out. Oh, yeah. And he wanted you to admit it. He wants you to admit it. Yeah, I backed out and I admit it. I'm scared <laughs> of him. I fought the best men in the world at their prime. Yeah. yeah. And beat them, but I'm scared of this plum. I'm gonna call him a chicken nugget. Why chicken nugget? Just because he's ripped and he's in good shape and I'm jealous. <laughs> Do you respect him? Yeah, I, like, I, don't, I don't mind him, he's done really well. Do you speak to him? I've, I've, I've spoke to him lots of times. Yeah. I used to, we used to phone each other on uh, FaceTime and all that. Well, FaceTime him now. He don't answer the phone to me no more. Come on, let me go. <laughs> While I was in America recently, he was Instagramming me, voice wow. messages and that. Ah, okay. I'm gonna smash your face in, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I said, okay, <laughs> do what you want. I don't really care. For them, it's like I say, it's, it's about getting a few quid yeah. and, uh, and doing what they gotta do, which I respect. But I don't think the fight will happen. We've been trying to do this fight since we was 22 years old. I'm now Who's 33 in a minute. Who's stopping it? Him or you think it's promoters or? I don't think any prize fighters, if you're getting paid a ton of money to fight and yeah. it's what you do, was you scared of going having a game of football? No, but we, we had to play everybody. I know, and that's how it worked. But the problem is, boxing's a bit different to football because if you lose a game, it don't really matter. But when these fighters, they lose a fight and then lose another one, whatever, yeah. it's, it's game over for them. Yeah. So they can make good money fighting Joe Bloggs, or they can make double or treble fighting me, but then they've lost, and then they can't go again. So they fight two or three people and get the same amount, yeah. And that's how they do it, but, but to be people, honest... People love you because you take on authority, because you are, you know, people can resonate with you. If you're not going to take on the boxing authorities, the system, the, 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 the crap that exists in that sport, who is? But it's not the authorities. 
It's, like, it's got nothing to do with boxing. These promoters then, or these promoters who are sort of calling the shots and the, and in football you obviously have football agents and sometimes the players get messed around a little bit. But in boxing, these promoters are running the shop. They're deciding who fights who gets some money and then they're taking money off boxers, the the managing boxers, they're running their lives. It just it feels a bit dirty. It feels a bit manky to watch. Do you know what boxing's been going on for a long, long time, and it's always been the same. It's not so much the boxing promoters or the fighters, it's just you've got so many organisations, but you also have loads of governing bodies. You've got the WBC, the WBA, the, the IBF, WBO, and... But you don't need restructuring. And all of them people have all got their own world title belts. Yeah. So say you box for the WBC and I box for the WBO, then all of a sudden your governing body wants you to keep boxing for your belt and they keep making money because they get paid every time yeah. and you keep defending, whatever, and then my governing body want me to do the same. But all of a sudden, if we fight each other and obviously one of us has got to lose, yeah. then that governing body's lost their money. Does that make sense? It does. But you, other boxers that have got massive characters and personalities, surely you can bring this system down and have this one sort of rank is one, like, this, world champion? Yes, yeah, so if it's like Boxing News, apparently, are saying now they're ignoring all these different belts. They're just going to rank box. Like, you're number one. Let's yeah. say Joshua's number two. So you two yeah. fight each other. Yeah. You know, it's almost like a, a World Cup yeah, every yeah, year yeah. where the best boxers fight each other. Obviously, you work your way up by beating people above yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why is that system not being challenged by boxers? It, it does happen. You see all these fights, like Pacquiao Mayweather, but it happened five years too late yeah, for me. Yeah, I know, yeah. I do think that the best boxers do fight each other eventually. Yeah. But it's not going to happen when everyone calls for it. It only happens when when it's beneficial for, say, when boxer's on the slide and one's in his prime. Then mm. you get them wanting to fight each other. But you very rarely get two prime heavyweights or two prime fighters fight each other. What a shame. It, because, i tell you why. Because one of them is always a bit wary that they're going to lose. See, me, right, I, I had three years out of the ring. I was on drugs and alcohol every day. I was fat as f I was 28 stone, yeah? And I come back and in six months I fought Deontay Wilder. And at the time he was the most feared knockout artist in the history of our sport. And I said, right, the fat bald man will fight you because all the rest of them won't because you keep going back and forth, this, that and the other. A side, B side, money, this, that and the other. I said, I'll fight. All of a sudden I've gone in there and absolutely battered him. And everyone's like, oh, well, is that what it was all about? They don't want to fight prime. Like Joshua's fought not one heavyweight in his prime. Like he fought Klitschko at 42 years old. Pulev, 40-odd. Pavetkin, 40-odd. They're all, like, former good men back in the early 2000s, late 2000s, but not in 2020-odd. They're like, they were good men 10 years ago. Do you not believe he wants you now? He said he wants you now. How can he have me now if I've got a rematch with Wilder? And the big thing is as well, right, I'll tell you what they always do, and he already fell victim to it, Joshua. They talk about fights that's not happening. Like, everybody wants to talk to me about the Joshua fight. Yeah. They don't care about the fight that I'm having. And all of a sudden, they want me to look over what I'm doing yeah. and then get chinned. And all of a sudden, I'm laid on my back flat by Wilder and he's taking my position. Is that the danger of this yeah. fight? Because the impression that everyone has of you is that you're fearless, that you fight anyone. So yeah, no one... I've proved that time and time again. I've only got two or three fights left because there's no more challenges. They've all been beaten. Who are they, the two or three? So I've got Wilder yeah. next. Yeah. And then providing they get through that, then I've got AJ. But if he doesn't take the fight, then there's a lack of challenges now. They've all gone, they've all been smashed to bits. My dream from being a little kid was to beat Klitschko. And then when I'd completed it, it was game over for me. Wilder hit me with a right hand and that was it. I just, I opened my eyes and I saw referee going, poor, but get up now, idiot. You've been <laughs> dropped again. Why does Wilder want you again? Money? One clear thing, yeah. $30 million. 
That's what he wants. Again. You think that's the only reason he wants to fight? Listen, he wants a chance to avenge his loss as well. Yeah. His only loss. And he knows he's got a massive punch, so he could end the fight in one is, punch. Is it a massive punch? Yeah. Yeah. I've been boxing all my life, and I'd never heard of this knockout power where it touches you and you fall over. And I wasn't convinced about the power of the Alabama Slammer, the 40-odd knockouts in a row. Yeah. I thought to myself, it must be a gimmick. <laughs> got to be. I wasn't bothered about the power anyway. I thought Klitschko had 60-odd knockouts, yeah. and it didn't even affect me. So I gets in there, I'm thinking, OK, jab, 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 jab. I'm thinking, this is easy, this can't be right. It must be in a dream. All of a sudden, I went to block a jab, and I felt this knuckle go right through me hand. It nearly broke me hand, and I went, shit. Then I got hit by that. If that's the jab, what's the right hand going to be like? <laughs> and he really does have the power where you don't feel it. You can get punched in the face, and you see a blue flash, if it hurts you. But then you've got real dynamite punches, like Wilder, is like it just switches you off like a light switch. I got dropped in round nine with him in the first fight, and he just like touched me at the back of the head. It was sort of there, like a right, a left up yeah. there. And I just opened my eyes and I was on the floor and I thought, shit, right, get up. You're obviously down. Cause you don't know because your brain's been rattled. You don't realize what's happened. And then you get up and then in round 12, he hit me with a right hand and that was it. I just, I opened my eyes and I saw referee going four. I thought, get up now, <laughs> idiot. You've been dropped again. <laughs> And that was it. I just rushed to my feet and got up. But Is that right? You don't know what's happened? You yeah, when you get it by a proper puncher, you don't know what's happened because you don't see it coming. It's like someone going from behind you and hitting you in the face and you don't know what's happened. You couldn't say it was him or him because you didn't see it. <laughs> and that's what happens when you get clipped proper off a dynamite, and that's what Wilder's got. But I don't know if it was the effect of me losing 10 stone and then fighting him in six months' period, yeah, yeah. which would affect anybody because in the second fight i took his best punches clean like big big rights on the jaw in round two yeah. and it never even affected me i walked right through him but maybe because i'd had another 18 months on top of the first yeah. fight so yeah i don't know if he really is that big a puncher but we'll find out anyway in october excited very very excited i've just had a month off and i think it's been the best thing i've done in the last three or four years because i'm really like hungry to be back in the gym and, and yeah. want to fight again so yeah, it's all good. I'm really looking forward to it all. And hopefully this year we get this fight over and we get another fight going, me and Joshua or whoever it is. Obviously that period after you beat Klitschko where you talked about, you know, obviously you put all the weight on yeah. you on the, the, the drink. What's the difference now when you have a month off and you're not training? What's the difference now in terms of your coping mechanism to be able to sort of stay focused and not go down that route again? Yeah, I almost know what not to do now, if that makes sense. I know not to have so long without doing anything and giving myself any mental stimulation where I don't train or do anything. Where before, it was like I'd conquered the world and it was nothing else I wanted to do, that was it. Yeah. My dream from being a little kid was to beat Klitschko. When I was only young, Klitschko was a world champion, so I was always looking at him. Yeah. And then when I'd completed it, it was game over for me. I didn't want to continue. Plus, I was mentally unstable. Like Going into that fight, I was very depressed and down and anxious. And I always, I always had that goal of beating Klitschko that kept me on the straight and narrow path. But after that goal was taken away from me, I had nothing else that I could focus on to give me that drive. And it was just like total downward spiral and I just didn't want to live anymore. I was happy to die at 27. I was happy to finish, that was it. Nothing or nobody could bring me back. Not my wife and kids, didn't care, didn't care about nothing. Every day I woke up, I just wanted to die. It's just, it's a crazy way to be, but only people who understand, like, who've been through depression and all that sort of stuff will understand what I'm saying. And 
when you're so down and every day you wake up, even if it's sunshine and it's grey and you're negative all the time, and it, you, you're infectious, you infect people who are around you, make them negative and down, and you push everybody away and just want to be left alone, like in a dark corner and left alone. But my problem is I was eating as well, comfort eating. So I was just getting heavier and heavier and more down and depressed and depressed and down. And I never thought that I'd ever return to, to boxing or anything like that. I'd, the furthest I thought I'd ever go if I didn't die was padded room. What was you like at home with your wife at that time? Terrible, non-existent. I'd go out for days on end drinking. What would she do? Was she ringing you? She'd be ringing me. They'd, they'd be, I'd switch my phone off and they'd be thinking, right, he's killed himself now. He's gone. And they'd be phoning around everywhere. Uh, looking for me, have you seen Tyson? I can't hold him for two days and he, I think he's killed himself because I was always like, yep, yeah, this is the day I'm going to kill myself and I even attempted it as well one day and uh, it wasn't good, it wasn't a good um, time in my life, it was just dark, lonely, horrible place and I never want to go back to, ever. Your wife must be tough as well as you though. To oh, she's tough. To put up with somebody like me is hard work. Imagine being married to Jack the Lad from being 20 year old, 18, 19. And some boy reg, a load of big curly hair, up and down, British heavyweight champion at 21. It's like, it's hard work. You go out, you got all hot women chucking themselves at you and all that sort of stuff. And, I never and, had that problem. Well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's madness, especially if you've had a couple of drinks. If I've had a couple of drinks, then I have to have somebody with me to control me. And I'll be honest about that. Yeah. I read, I read that you, was it 20 pints a day? Because I'm an after five or six. Yeah. I've drunk 18, 19 pints on a night out, but don't forget at that time, I was drinking regular. I was, I was a professional drinker and I was 26 or seven stone, 28 stone. So I could take a lot of drink. But now, like I had two bottles of uh, Heineken the other day and I was absolutely bladdered. <laughs> we went to San Carlos, me and the boys, me brothers and that. And I think I had like six halves. That's, so, you, so you still can have a drink like now, a but you have to have someone with you now to say, right, that's enough. Or do you, are you okay to control it? No, I'm okay. I'm all right. But I, I prefer to go out with other people, like me, someone like me brothers and that, because they can say, right, that's enough now, let's go home. Where me, I'm one of them people, if I've had six or seven beers, yeah. I want to go out then. I won't come back till five in the morning. Yeah. And that's it. But if I'm with somebody sensible, then we'll say, right, it's half ten now. Who were you drinking with then? Home. Who were you drinking with at that time in that three or four years? To be honest with you, I was drinking on my own. Were you? Because I burnt, I burnt Manchester? all no, Manchester, Morecambe, anywhere. I burnt all my mates out. They'd gone back to work. I said, they, must, they must have done. Yeah, and I was there, still going, still drinking every day. It was, it was horrible. I mean, I, I've, I've, left you four, well. I've left you at four o'clock after five pints. You've done me. I'm finished. <laughs> yeah, but see me though. When I've had a few beers, it's like home don't exist. I like I live in that moment. If that makes yeah. sense. It doesn't matter that I've got to go to the gym tomorrow. I've got a, a big business meeting in London. It's all off. All bets are off. And 29 stone? 28 stone. 28 I stone? Yeah. Lost it all within seven months and fought again. If you had your arm chopped off, people know you've got a proper injury, but you can't see in someone's brain. I got on my knees and I was just crying. I said, I can't do this anymore. And I said to Paris, right, I'm going to become heavyweight champion of the world again. It's an incredible comeback. So, Tyson, we have a section called Failure is a Bruise, not a Tattoo, because I got sacked in Valencia yeah. after four months and some guy sent me that saying, so it always sticks with me. So, your lowest moment, you've just taken us through it. Yeah. Just tell us a little bit about your mentality of coming back and your coping mechanism to make sure you don't go back into that sort of mood and that place again. So, the mentality of coming back, I was in that low place for like two and a half years. And one night I was out, Halloween night, I was having a few drinks. And I, and I must have come sane for a little minute. And I looked around me and I thought, what the f 
am I doing here? I was in a Weatherspoons in Morecambe. <laughs> yeah? On my own. On Halloween night. I just had a big argument with the missus and I looked around me and I, all I could see was like young kids. What felt like to me they were all in school, like college kids and all yeah. that. And I thought, you know what? You're a married man. You've had the world in your hand. You've chucked it all away. For what, you daft bastard? Get home now. That was like a voice in my mind. And I put the beer down like that. And I got out of there. And it was only about 7.30. I went back home and went upstairs. And I got on my knees and I was just crying. Crying, crying, crying. And I started praying to God. I said, I can't do this anymore. Like, I tried to come back training, but yeah. I had no motivation. After two days, I was back in the depression. And... When I got up after about half an hour, what felt like it was an eternity, but it was only a few minutes, I felt like I'd had the weight of the world lifted off my shoulders. And I said to Paris, right, tomorrow, I'm gonna to start the regain mission. I'm gonna become heavyweight champion of the world again. She didn't believe me because I'd done this every time I got drunk. I'm gonna start training on Monday. That's it, that's it, I've had enough now. But it never lasted, got to Wednesday and I was back in the pub. Next morning I got up, got my sweatsuit on, and I, I was thought I was going to jog like a mile at 28 stone. And I got out on the road and my back was killing me. So I started walking <laughs> and I was flicking down on Instagram and I saw Deontay Wilder. And he'd done a video saying, I saw Tyson Fury at a boxing event recently. He's shadow of his former glory. He's fat as anything. He'll never come back. I'll give up the hope now of ever fighting him. And I thought, I'm going to come back and I'm going to show you that I am the best in this division. And at the time, there was a lot of back and forth with him and Anthony Joshua were going to fight each other, and they wasn't. One wanted X amount, this, that, and the other, and it wasn't happening. They had, like, 16 months of back and forth, and they couldn't, couldn't agree a deal. So I, I phoned up my uh, lawyer, and I said, look, I started training again. I said, I'm 28 stone, and I'm going to come back. Nobody believed me. And then I started training every day, and I got the weight down gradually. I phoned up Frank Warren. I said, look, Frank, I I'm going to make a return. He said, are you serious? I said, yeah. He said, right, I'll get you on in June. And it was like December now. So I had six months to try and lose yeah. 10 stone. And I, I went into camp and started training again and, and getting a bit of sparring and all that sort of stuff. And then I, I got down to like 19 stone 10 and I had my first fight in Manchester. And we sold it out and had my first fight back after just under three years. And it was named He's Back, Return of the Mac. And then I had another fight a few months later in Belfast. At that time, Wilder was at ringside, screaming and shouting, and then we ended up having to get it on. And it was exactly from, I fought, I had my first fight back June the 15th, and I fought Deontay Wilder that same year on December the 1st. So it wasn't even six months, was it, of being wow. back after three years out of the ring? And he still couldn't beat me then. I mean, it's an incredible comeback. Did you have psychiatric help? Have you still got yeah, someone now yeah. that you go and no, see? No, I don't go and see him now, but I, when I was really down, I used to speak to this guy and he diagnosed me with bipolar disorder and all sorts of other stuff. And after a while, I thought, you know what? I, I'm, I feel all right, but even when I had my first fight back, not a lot of people know this, but I used to sleep with a light on because I couldn't be in the dark alone. I don't know what was going to, it was going to come into me, like seven <laughs> foot and 30 stone. But I don't know what was happening. Because of fear? Just like anxiety problems. Like anxiety, I don't know if you've ever had it, but... No, no just talk to me about that, what it like is for you. Anxiety, I had an anxiety attack and I thought I was having a heart attack, I thought I was dying, I thought I was definitely going to die and I didn't die. I'm thinking, I'm not dying, what's going on? I'm having a heart attack. Yeah. And it was just like the most feeling of terror and fear I've ever felt. And it, I used to get it quite regularly. And it wasn't for the, that it was like this person or this was going to happen to me, but it's like whatever your worstest nightmares are, they come to reality in, a, in an anxiety attack. Do you still get them now? I don't, I've not had an anxiety attack since that day. 
Well, why do you think that is? I'm not sure. I think because I got back training and I gave myself a goal, a motivation to, to do something again. And once I set my mind to something, then I always achieve it. No matter what, like, I, nothing can ever sidetrack me or, or put me off path for achieving what I set my mind to. Like, every goal I've ever done from being a little kid, I've always achieved. No, never once did I never hit the mark that I set. But it's always been an astronomical goal. And I also spoke to Robbie Williams about this, and it happened to him as well. And he come up with a thing, it's called Paradise Syndrome. You put your full life into something, and when you reach that un unreachable goal, it's like, is this it now? Yeah. Like, and then that's it then. And he had the same, he had like years and years of abusing himself and, and whatever else. You'd have been told to man up, I suspect, as well, when you were younger and yeah, you were experiencing yeah, yeah, these yeah. things. That, yeah. that was what you were told, well, get on with it, man up. Get yeah. on with it. Like, I didn't know what was happening to me until I got to like 29. And I've been dealing with like anxiety, especially from being a little kid, like maybe eight, nine years old. I didn't know, really know what it was. I thought like, I was being left alone and it was, it was just horrible growing up with it. If you had your arm chopped off and you, people could see it and they know you've got an, a proper injury. But with you being mentally unwell, you can't see in someone's brain. So I could be, be here now and I look okay, but I could be hearing voices in my mind or I could be going back and forth with my own self. I, I don't know, it's one of the worstest things that I've ever experienced, like being punched in the face or gruelling training or whatever has happened to me in my life. Nothing could ever compare with mental health struggle. I'm almost obsessed with time. You're going to live forever? No. I'm happy to have a few years and move on. What I say I want to be sounds very simple, but it's probably the hardest thing that can ever exist. I just want to be happy. Tyson, let's pop in here for a cup of tea and then we'll let you go. Lovely jubbly. Right, Tyson, ask all my guests the yeah. same 10 questions. Let's go. What city means the most to you and why? Manchester, even though I don't live there anymore because it was where I was born and raised and it's where my family live. Eventually, I think one day, I'll end up back around there somewhere. Who was your childhood idol? Probably Muhammad Ali. I always used to watch him in his movement and all that and I wanted to be a heavyweight champion, so I used to watch and study and try and copy what he did. Do you think you're close to him in terms of, I mean, it's difficult to compare? It's difficult to compare, especially when I'm so yeah. big and so heavy, but I think so. I think I'm the closest thing that we have today to something like that. But although I'm very unique because there's never been somebody of my size and weight, 19 stone seven and six foot nine who could move around and box like he did, even though he was only 200 pounds, 14 stone something, and six foot two or three, so a bit different. What item in your home do you most treasure? Most treasure? Hmm. Probably my Bible. I've had this Bible that my uncle got me about 14, 15 years ago, that wherever home I go to, I take it with me and I put it on the side. I'm not going to lie and say I read it every day, because I don't, but it's always there. It's in my bedside table now. And if the house burnt down, as long as all the kids were out there and my wife was out, I'd probably grab that and all. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Very good question, but the best piece of advice I've ever been given is stay out of trouble. Stay out of trouble because it's very easy to get in trouble and so hard to get out of it. So always stay away from trouble. Not a bad bit of advice, is it? That's good advice, actually. What one day in your career would you relive? None of them, because I live for today. And whatever's happened in the past, I leave there. I don't even go back and watch fights that I've had, ever. I don't relive the past at all because it's gone and I know I can't get it back. And I'm almost obsessed with time. I've got a real 
obsession with the way it evaporates and the way that one minute we're here and any minute it'll be like, when I done that interview with Tyson, it was like three years ago and it'll go like that, bang. And I've really got an obsession with time, so I live for now. Tomorrow, not promised to nobody, yesterday can never get back. So today, I enjoy today and I live for today. What job would you be terrible at? Any other job apart from boxing. That's a fact. So boxing's all you've got? All I've got. Good job I'm good at it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what skill would you most love to master? Do we know the answer? Yeah. The art of time travel. You're going to live forever? No. I'm happy to have a few years and move on. I'm happy just to live in the moment. Like years ago, I used to, everyone say like, what superpower would you have? Have you had that question? And I used to say, right, I'd have the ability to control time because I've always been obsessed with time. But now I don't want that anymore because I'm happy letting God control time. I just want to live in time. I don't want to control it. Don't live forever. What I say I want to be sounds very simple, but it's probably the hardest thing that can ever exist. I just want to be happy. And that's the, probably the hardest thing that we can ever, ever find. And like, I've always struggled finding happiness, no matter, even in my happiest moments, I struggled finding that happy, happy place. Mm. And that's all, all I ever want to achieve is to be happy. So, yeah. I think it's unbelievable advice, that, because even when you're talking there, I don't think anybody ever sits in a moment and thinks, are they happy, even if they're having a good moment? Yeah. It's like, you could be doing anything you want, like, wherever you want in the world. Do you actually take it in and think, I'm actually really happy now doing this. This is my happiest moment. And do I want to keep doing this every day because then I won't be happy doing it. But I think I'm at my most happiest when I'm training. I don't even have to have a fight coming up. Just doing a bit of training, ticking over, and, and everything's okay at home. I think like, if you're in a relationship or whatever, if you're happy at home, then you'd be happy at work. Are you happy at home? I'm very happy at home, yeah. I've got a stable background at home now with the kids and with Paris and that. And, as long as I can keep it good at home, so everything else runs smooth. What single habit have you practised most? I'd like to say, but there's uh, ladies in the room. <laughs> uh, no, single habit I've practised most. It's obviously boxing, isn't it? Because it's a habit and I practise it every single day. What small thing annoys you most? Do you know when you go out with your mates and someone dodges around? Say it's seven or eight years, right? Everyone knows whose round it is, don't you? Even if you've had a few and that person ain't getting around in. That's the most annoying thing to me in the world. How do you deal with that normally? Well, everyone just puts pressure on the guy to get it in. And then we start <laughs> chanting, whoever it may be. Gary, get your round in! <laughs> and everyone's like, it's embarrassing. He's like, oh, I've got to get the round in. So, yeah. Who's your biggest mentor in your career? Final question, that. My biggest mentor in my career is probably my wife. Because without her, then I probably would have went AWOL a long time ago. I've been AWOL anyway, plenty of times, but I've always had that loving wife relationship, sort of the backbone. She explains it to some people as, I'm the head, but she's the neck. And without a neck, you've got no head, have you? Mm. So yeah, I think she's my biggest single mentor I've ever had. Been together from being like 15 and 16 years old. Did she nearly walk out? It's hard to say because I, d I can't read her mind, but she stuck by me through that much bullshit. I've not been the best husband in the world. I've been far from it. I've not been the best person in the world. I've been far from it. But I'm happy that I'm back on track and everything's running smooth again. And to get a woman who's been with you all that time 
and gone through the bullshit and the good times and the bad times and being down and depressed and an alcoholic and a druggie for years and to still be there when you don't want to be and when you're being forced away and when you're being pushed out, that takes a very strong individual. And like I say, without having that person, then I probably, one, I'd be dead anyway, I know that for a fact. And two, if I wasn't dead, I wouldn't have that stable background. I'd be up and down, flying up and down Miami or wherever I'd be, I don't know. I can't envision where I'd be if I never had that stable home life. And it's what's kept me going all these years, I reckon. To have somebody who's there for me and who knows me inside out from being a little kid. Because at 15 and 16, you are children, aren't you? We've had all that time together, sort of grew up together as well, so she knows me better than anybody in the world. Well, it's a brilliant place to finish, and every guest on the overlap gets a gift. Yes. And your favourite player, I believe, United, was Eric Cantona. You can hopefully put this up in your house or your gym or something. Yep. Who had this painted? Who had it done? Eric had it done. It was when he was like the sort of king of Old Trafford and... Uh, yeah. There's only 130 made. Yeah. And this is one of them. This is one I got, and I'm going to give it to you. Thank you so much. Look, I thought they were all like warriors having a fight somewhere. No, it's me. I'm like a little, I don't know what you call it, like a peasant looking up at him. He's almost like the king. You guys look like you're tired and, and ready for a good sleep. Looks like we've missed our round. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like that. Get your round in, lads. Come on. You want to be like me? <laughs> Brilliant. Great to speak Gary, to you. Gary, thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for the gift. I'm going to get this up in me, Jim. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.